When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, this is Leland Sklar and you are digging Pantheon Podcast. Yes. Pantheon Podcast presents Deeper Digs with host and rock and roll archaeologist Christian Swain. Music, culture, technology, and rock and roll. Now, on with the show. Well, I'm standing next to a mountain, chop it down with the edge of my hand. Well, I'm standing next to a mountain, chop it down with the edge of my hand, pick up the pieces, make an island, might even raise a little sand. We are definitely in the house of the gods today, folks. In fact, we're going to be here for a couple of Deeper Dig episodes because I am working with an upcoming Jimi Hendrix celebration uh, that uh, is going to be on November 27th, 2020, uh, which would have been uh, Jimmy's 78th birthday. Uh, In a minute, I'll give you diggers all the details, so hold tight. Uh, Today, we have two fantastic guests Two, drummer Kenny Aronoff and author Corey Washington. All right, quick, quick business. Uh, Did uh, everybody survive the elections? Or election? I think it's still sort of going on, maybe. I don't know. Not really, but there's constant uh, news items uh, that are out there. Well, hey, you know, I I hope uh, whoever you uh, voted for and whatever you voted for, because everybody has uh, uh, other issues uh, wherever you may live, uh, I hope it all worked out for you. Or if not, hey, you know, in two years, there's a whole nother national election. And in four, there's another one for president. So, you know, um, keep the powder dry for uh, for the future if uh, things didn't go as planned. And if they have, well, you know, it's uh, hopefully we can get some stuff done in the positive. I mean, certainly on the pandemic side, we got to do something. This is what we're going through and what we're doing is definitely not working. We got almost a quarter of a million people dead. That's that is not good. 10 million infections. That's something ain't working. Something's not right. So, all right. All right. Enough of that. Moving on. Please go to Pantheon Podcasts for new shows. Um, we got uh, a couple of new ones that uh, I'll, I'll highlight here. Uh, the Crime and Music Podcast. Yes. 
We need a crime and music podcast. Brian Kinsley and Benjamin Ruppel, uh, who met in second grade, uh, started uh, this show in April of 2018. The podcast became a great way for the guys to hang out again um, after uh, being apart from each other for a while and to explore their comedic creativity with their unique musical backgrounds. Um, thanks to some eBay selling and buying, converting a storage room into a professional podcast studio, uh, only uh, took a bit of time and a few hours of, uh, you know, how-to videos on YouTube. I love those things. Uh, so every other Wednesday, Pantheon is proud to present uh, this new music history true crime podcast about people in and around the music business and their misadventures in law-breaking. Uh, so go check that one out, Crime in Music podcast. The Hustle, Music and Money, uh, which is hosted by John Lamoureux. Um, John asks the question, what does it take to maintain a career in music? Uh, he tracks down members of bands that flirted with stardom and find out what their lives are like now. Uh, every artist has a story, whether big or small. They've all seen the ups and downs and worked hard to maintain careers in music. John chats with some of the most interesting legacy artists in pop music and go in depth on their career. Um, how they feel about them and what it's like being a rock star and also hear their best stories. If you are a music junkie, you will love these long form conversations with beloved figures from your life. All right. Listener supported button at Pantheon. Please go and check that out. Pantheonpodcast.com. And uh, if you hit the listener supported button at the top, you can, uh, Go to Patreon, and we appreciate you Patreon members out there. Thank you so much. You can go to Tee Public and pick up some Rock and Roll Archaeology swag, some Deeper Dig swag, some Pantheon swag. Uh, we're building that uh, uh, that store up, so take a look if you haven't in a while. And now you can uh, just buy us a cup of coffee, or a Kofi, as they like to say. Uh, coffee. So, you know, that's one of those one-time... Um, tips, uh, if you will. Um, and that can all be found at pantheonpodcast.com. All right. That's the news. Let's get to it. Let's do this. Okay, diggers, we have a very special November coming for all of you. On Friday, November 27th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 4 p.m. out on the Pacific Coast, if you're here, Kiss the Sky uh, presents a live stream of their annual Jimi Hendrix birthday bash direct from the historic Bearsville Theater in Woodstock, New York. Now, see why Rolling Stone magazine has said, yes, believe the hype. This show lives up to it. And uh, why 
Access TV crown Kiss the Sky featuring left-handed guitar virtuoso Jimmy Blue, the world's greatest tribute to Jimi Hendrix. Kiss the Sky recreates Hendrix's most iconic concert moments in full replica wardrobe and gear so well that they have had the honor of playing with all surviving members of Hendrix's own bands, including Billy Cox, The Last Gypsy. Check out the Bearsville Theater uh, and or uh, at Kiss the Sky tribute pages on Facebook for more information. So bearsvilletheater.com and then Kiss the Sky tribute page on Facebook for more info on where you can get tickets. Hey, this is a donate only uh, to check it out. So it's free if you want, but I've seen Jimmy Blue and I'm certain you all will be willing to pass a few bucks his way. Um, but I like the idea of making it up to you. Very cool. It's kind of like the coffee thing I was just talking about. Tips, you know? So go go check it out. Uh, the, the 27th. It'll be fun. In honor of this upcoming event, um, I am going to be interviewing several greats um, who played with Jimmy, uh, were inspired by Jimmy, or dove into how Jimmy fits in the rock and roll pantheon. Today, we've got uh, two guests for you. Uh, in fact, uh, to pull this off, all these uh, upcoming Hendrix shows will have two guests, and all of it will focus on uh, Jimi Hendrix. Corey Washington is an author with a new book called Jimi Hendrix, Black Legacy, A Dream Deferred. Uh, and he'll be second. Um, I'll come back to give a fuller explanation of this uh, important book and who Corey is. But up first, to kick off this, is the amazingly all-around talented drummer, Kenny Aronoff. Voted one of the top 100 drummers of all time by Rolling Stone magazine, Drummer Magazine has crowned Kenny Aronoff the number one pop rock drummer and the number one studio drummer for his unique and emulated style combining both finesse and power. The celebrated musician has contributed his talents to more than 60 Grammy-nominated recordings, over 300 million records sold worldwide feature his work, 1,300 of which are certified gold, platinum, or diamond records. Dude is a serious stud. Kenny has learned countless lessons over his four-decade career in show business, taking what was once a dream and turning it into an awe-inspiring reality. He has transformed his foundations of hard work and dedication into a message of achievement and inspiration that he shares with audiences worldwide. Yes, you too can book Kenny Aronoff for a speaking tour. Uh, and by the way, uh, Kenny is one of those guys that is just it has charisma all over him he he when he speaks people listen um uh, and you'll see within this short interview that i did with him i'd I love the guy in his autobiography sex drums rock and roll kenny aronoff talks about his childhood growing up in both the brookshires and the midwest at an early age music inspired him he studied classical jazz and every style in between creating a foundation that evolved into the versatile drummer that he is today with the talent to play anything while trying to make it in the music business in his early 20s, fate stepped in with the audition that would change his life. It was for John Mellencamp. His work with Mellencamp catapulted Aronoff to the top of the charts with hits like Heart So Good, Little Pink Houses, and Jack and Diane, paving the way for session and recording work for many remarkable artists. Today, we are going to be focusing on what Hendrix meant to him, and I won't spoil it, but Kenny is definitely the guy 
to kick this celebration off with. All right, all right, all right. You are about to get a highly nutritious diet of Jimi Hendrix over the next few weeks. So let's get the party started. Here is Kenny Aaron. You Welcome to uh, Deeper Digs, Kenny Aronoff. How are you doing today? I'm great, man. Thanks for having me. Oh, always excited to talk to uh, somebody like yourself. Um, you know, I, obviously, I, you know, the first question has to, to be asked is, how are you doing during COVID and how has this affected your livelihood? I'm killing it. Uh, well, I mean, I lost the Joe Satriani tour. That record had entered the charts at number eight. Yeah. On Billboard, uh, Fo- uh, John Fogarty touring and Supersonic Blue Machine, which is a band I have where we feature Billy Gibbons and people like that. So all that went away and all my speaking events that I had uh, went away. But I did do my first virtual speaking event from my studio, Uncommon Studios, like about two weeks ago. So I am up and running, which is a lot of... A lot goes into that with this TV monitors, lighting, different cameras, switchers, sound, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So um, I'm in my studio every day, Uncommon Studios, um, L.A., and I, uh, you know, I record. I mean, I'm about to do something for, uh, let's see, what's it, Edgar Winter. He's doing a record to honor Johnny Winter. I, I've done stuff, just did Access TV nice. with Sammy Hagar and Steve Lukather. They actually did an episode that was on TV last Sunday. Oh, what uh, a Sammy's Roadshow. Uh, yeah, it was right from things? my studio, uh-huh. right from my studio. We have all, uh, I've got all the gear and the equipment for that. Um, I just, I'm con- I've got all kinds of records. I'm going to start a new Satriani record in my studio. I've got all kinds of unsigned acts and all kinds of people sending me stuff. Uh, and uh, and I'm constantly working on my speaking business. Uh, I, I'm so busy. I'm busier now than I am when I'm on the road because there's only so many things I can do when I'm touring. And uh, I'm the type of guy that when I go back to my room after a show, I work till one to four in the morning on, the, on my other stuff. But uh, this is insane. And, you know, you got to stay physically, mentally, uh, spiritually, and emotionally uh, strong. And I have a whole program on how to do that. And, you know, uh, I'm busy, man. I am slammed busy. That's so great to hear. Um, you know, a lot of people that we've talked to, you know, I mean, you know, uh, touring was just so incredibly important to their world and they, it all disappeared overnight. And, uh, you know, we're all having to wonder when that will ever come back. But so I'm glad to hear that things are going OK for you in the age of COVID. I'd say OK. It was great, actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, monetarily it's different, of course, yeah, but yeah. I'm I'm killing it, man. The thing is, I'm a I'm a I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a soldier. I'm a marine, and when uh, or a Navy SEAL, I should say. And what you do is when something when you get into and uh, you have to embrace adversity immediately. Yeah. And I just made a yeah. list of what I what I was planning to do this year, and I replaced mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. immediately mm-hmm. with things and within. Mm-hmm. 24 hours, I had started to go, like, can't do that, so now I'm going to do this. Can't do that, I'm going to do this. Can't do that, and I'm going to do this. Uh, okay, how am I going to do with those financial things? And eventually, 
I figured it out. Now, yeah, that, wor- worry about only the things you can control, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing is, is I've always been this guy. I when, when John Mellencamp at the end of eight years of touring the USA in our own private jet and selling out arenas everywhere with no opening act, and we were one of the biggest bands in America, and he decides to take three years off. In 24 hours, I had a plan, and that was, listen, I've been working for one rock star for eight years, now I'm going to go work with all the other rock stars. And, and you have. A, and I have. <laughs> and I mean, there is nobody... Dude, my uh, now you're you're one of the hardest working men in show business. Yeah, definitely. Well, I broke rules. I mean, I mean, look at the same guy who records with Johnny Cash, Willie Nelson, Chris Christopherson, Wayne Jennings, uh, does not usually go on tour with the Smashing Pumpkins, and then plays with uh, Ray Charles, Buddy Guy, BB King, or then jumps over and does you know like Michelle. Michelle Branch, Alanis Morissette, Avril Lavigne, Celine Dion. But that same guy does the Meatloaf records and then also plays with the Buddy Rich Big Band and also performed with the, uh, you know, the Boston Symphony Orchestra uh, that got a job in the Jerusalem Symphony Orchestra. But then that's the same guy who did 75 Letterman shows and, seven, and six uh, Saturday Night Live shows. Uh, you know, and then, then I'm off with Tony Iommi from Sabbath and Glenn Hughes starting our own band. And then next thing you know, I'm playing with Jerry Lee Lewis and Little Richard at the Grammys with Fogarty. It's wow. not the, wow. usually you are one guy or the other guy. Yeah. And yeah. somehow you get pigeonholed. So, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You definitely get pigeonholed. Yeah. Somehow I got hired and I just kept, I'm doing it just for fun. I'm, I'm connecting the dots now. I'm mm-hmm. looking back because when I wrote my autobiography, Sex, Drums, Rock and Roll, they were asking me pointed questions to market the book and I had to come up with these statistics or these facts uh and suddenly i went holy shit and as a speaker they you have corporate audiences that they don't really know it's like i'm the guy the most famous guy you don't know it's like i'm everywhere i'm the most viewed guy literally on oh yeah yeah Uh, yeah but they're like sees you they go I know that guy. Where do I yeah. know that guy? Right. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The most yeah. famous guy you don't know. And uh, <laughs> and uh, my mom said, that was in an article once, uh, a title in Esquire. And she goes, I can't believe they said that. I said, Mom, that's, it's the truth, though. No. And to be it's- honest with you, it's an enviable position because now, now you you do get to slide in wherever yeah. you, 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 you want uh, without bringing you know, all of the baggage if you were like super famous that would have to go along with it. Oh, know? absolutely. Absolutely. It's like John Fogarty. He can only be John, John Fogarty. Fogarty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. I can play with a hundred John Fogarty's and it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Enviable yeah. position. So yeah. let's, let's talk a little bit about our subject matter today. Uh, I, I, I think uh, like a lot of kids, um, you know, in that age bracket, you know, February 9th, uh, 1963, uh, excuse me, 1964 uh, was the night that changed your life. And you uh, said, holy shit, what is that? And I want to do that, right? Absolutely. Ed Sullivan show. The yeah. Beatles, right? Yeah. I mean, I was just playing outside. I was 10 years old. My mom screamed at us. We grew up, I grew up in New England and mm. in, in like an old dairy farm and there was nothing to watch on TV. We were just running around being crazy outside, my brother and I. And uh, mom yelled at us uh, from the porch, says, get in here right now. And I thought, oh, shit, I'm in trouble, <laughs> which was usually the case. And, uh, you know, I came into the family room on this black and white RCA TV set with antenna and rabbit ears, you know. Uh, to get better reception and 
they were the, the, the Beatles. And so, you know, I, I didn't know who they were and I'd never seen rock and roll before, but I knew immediately that's what I wanted to do. And I was electrified. And before I even understand what these words mean, uh, but uh, that is, I realized what my purpose in life was. Uh, I didn't even know what that meant. All I know is I wanted to do it. And yeah. so, yeah. And obviously, you know, 50 years later, I'm playing yeah. with them, honoring them for that show. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Including, I think you played with both uh, Sir Paul and uh, Ringo. Uh, yeah. Both I of remember. them. I did. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Both of yeah. them. And I'd done the Grammys the night before with Ringo. Uh -huh. I mean, and I was hanging with them, talking. And I'd met Paul before. Mm -hmm. I was doing an Alice Cooper record once and. Uh, it was just me, the engineer and a producer, and I was doing four tracks a day. Uh, I write every note out, uh, and you know, and so I was just writing what they had attempted to do with other drummers. I wrote out the program, and I was in between. They were transferring from tape to Pro Tools, and I see somebody's wrist knocking in the inside of the door. I'm like, "Come on in!" And I'm on the phone with Don Was, his producer, and um, the, the the person didn't come in. I scream. Come on in. And it's Paul fucking McCartney. And I said to Don, I said, Don, I got to go, man. And he says, man. Uh, <laughs> no, you know what Don says? Oh, man, the other guy was cooler. And I went, well, the other guy, he's talking about John. I said, well, John's dead. Bye. And so I'm, <laughs> oh, I'm going oh, oh. to talk to the guy who's alive. Yeah. And yeah. so, oh, my God, it was absolutely hilarious. He yeah. hung with us for an hour. Yeah. And I even nah. remember going, I even, I remember they were on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine. And I finally went, oh, my God, congratulations. You're back on the cover of Rolling Stone. And um, I said, man, that record, and you got a new record called Number One Hits, I think. Yeah. And he goes like this. You know, I was listening to that record, you know, when they were putting it together. I went, those are some pretty damn good songs. <laughs> you you know, I, I wouldn't change a thing. And I'm like, you think? <laughs> Oh my God! I was like dying. I was laughing my head off. Like, so the yeah. Beatles were the were 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 the ur point uh, for for Kenny Aronoff becoming a professional musician. But what about Jimi Hendrix? When did you first discover him? He completely blew my head out. I put the Beatles to the side immediately when Hendrix came out, and I heard Purple Haze. That resonated with the thirteen year old that I was, or whatever age I was, and all of a sudden. Oh, my God. And the thing, the reason why Hendrix did it, it was a combination of blues, rock. It was dangerous, yet he was such a loving, mm -hmm. peaceful, joyful yeah. guy. Yeah. So it was kind of like even your parents would tolerate it. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like, you know, goth rock or, you know, punk rock that was like dangerous and uh, to parents or anybody that was a little bit. He was a gentle, kind man that had these just this kind of, you know. Unless you gave him a can of lighter fluid, that is. Well, yeah, I guess, but you stay. <laughs> but he would probably tell you to stand back. Yeah. Uh, the thing is, uh, I mean, it 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 was it was safe, and yeah. I loved it. I remember uh, thirteen, I think, uh, we were having a party. I went to a little private school in New in New England. That we, I mean, we all lived at home, but somebody was having a party. And we were all dancing to Beatles songs and, and like California dreaming, you know, the beat, uh, the mamas and papas. Yeah. And I remember I, I was see, I was going through getting more testosterone in my body. I'm like, you know, fuck this shit, man. I took off the 45 of California dreaming when everybody's close dancing, you know, and I put purple haze on. And I was like, this is the shit. 
And right. everybody turned around and looked at me, what are you doing? And rightfully so, I mean, these guys and these girls were dancing. And I'm like, you don't get it. And I went outside and completely tore apart the whole neighborhood, ripping signs down. I felt like nobody understood how heavy Jimmy was and what this meant to me. And I ripped all my posters down in my bedroom. And the only thing I had was Jimi Hendrix everywhere except for one poster. And that was with Jane Fonda. Uh, okay, and, I can see why. Uh, probably yeah, Barbarella yeah. Jean Fonda, I would Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so Jimi Hendrix became my religion. Now, I remember that Christmas, uh, I was listening to All You Experience on a turntable. I was in my room. I had a big, big room, bedroom, and I, me and my brother had H, H, we had a HO cars and trains, you know, and, yeah. and I, was, I was building like a, those balsa wood airplanes you could build. And yeah. I remember it was like 18 inches of snow. The fireplace is going downstairs. It's Christmas. And I'm toking a little bit on a joint. I'm building model airplanes, build, playing HO cars and listening to our experience 24 hours. I mean, when I wasn't sleeping, it was side A, mm -hmm. then side B. Inside A, inside B. And my parents finally go, will you put something else on the turntable? <laughs> I went, no. And so he was religion to me. Eventually, when Acts as Bold as Love yeah. came out, mm -hmm. I went and saw him play in Troy. You did uh, get to see him. Live. Yeah, I saw okay. him play uh, up there near Albany, New York. Uh, one of my friend's dads, who was into music, um, drove us up there. And when I saw it, I didn't want anybody to talk to me. It was religion to me. And I remember they had a PA system. And by the way, it was, you know, which was Mitch Mitchell and Noel Redding. It was the original band. And they and and they had a way of swirling the sound, like in, in a quadrant type oh, thing. Oh, so so an early version of quadraphonic. Okay. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I just remember, you know, the in Axis Bold of Love, you know, they had gotten into yeah, mm -hmm. ah, uh, you know, the phasing, and, uh, the phasing, phasing thing. Yeah. And so yeah. I was just mentioning, of course, we were stoned, and uh, and I was just like, it was religion to me. It was God to another coming world. Yeah. yeah, and on the way home, I refused to talk to anybody. As a matter of fact, nobody talked to anybody because we were in so, so much shock and so blown away mm -hmm. by what we had seen. And uh, Jimi Hendrix was God to me. It was mm -hmm. like, it was, uh, but he was, it was a, like I said, he was, he was loving and dangerous at the same time. Yeah, that, I've never thought of it that way, but you're absolutely right. Um, you know, his personality is one of love and ease yeah. and, and down to earth and quiet. Yeah. We know that he was quite the devourer of sci-fi and things like that yeah. and was interested in, you know, the future of, of humanity and, and, you know, and just trying to be along and get along with, with everybody. And then, of course, you know, his plane is incendiary. It's, it's, it's fire, literally fire. And uh, uh, so to, to take those two dual personalities and put them into one being, I guess is pretty special. So thanks for, for sharing that that with us. So, you know, I mean, obviously, September 18th, 1970. Uh, I'm, do you remember hearing the news of his? Oh, passing? yeah. Yeah. What did that oh, do for you? I mean, especially oh, if man, was so I was important. Yeah. Yeah. devastated. It was as big as uh, when John Kennedy died. Mm -hmm. It was big. You know, Janis Joplin died and Jim mm -hmm. Morrison did. But when Hendrix died, oh, man, was I 
bummed out. Yeah. It yeah. was like, yo, man, this yeah. sucks, man. Yeah. Yeah. What the fuck? And, you know, we have to realize that people were starting to experiment with drugs. Nobody of my peers had died before. And then three all at once, it was like, whoa, whoa, what's going on? And then you had the Kennedys and then Martin Luther King. But Hendrix was like, I was, I was really fucking yeah. bummed me yeah. out big time. So, you know, you go on to become a professional musician uh, with a storied career. Uh, and it, it seems like, you know, while, while it started with, uh, with, uh, with the Beatles, like a lot of people, um, you know, that, that opens the door, it's Hendrix that really did it for you more so than, uh, than just about anybody else. Yeah. And in fact, I think, you know, last year you performed with the uh, Experience Hendrix band, right? Yeah, I, I, we were the final act of the whole show. It was um, me, Joe Satriani, and Doug. Uh, oh, from King's from, X. From King's X, and yeah, it was great, man. And you know, you know, I, I, I remember going to Joe and said, "Joe, oh, wait a minute, you, Doug, and and uh, and Joe. Oh, it is definitely the bald headed guy. The bald I, I should and, be the fucking singer of that band. Yeah, you should. <laughs> I know." And, you know, exactly. And I, I just remember, I said to Joe, listen, uh, all the songs we're playing are, you know, Mitch Mitchell. He's a jazz drummer and he stretched yeah. out and, you know, really stretched out a lot. It says, are you cool with that? Because I, I try to honor, when you play uh, music and it's, you know, Mitch Mitchell's a drummer, I try to honor every single thing he played. But I, Joe said, no, I will go do whatever the hell you want. Push me. Mm-hmm. And so we took it out, man. I mean, it was a total, in, in, the, in the honor of Mitch Mitchell and the way he improvised on the drum set, because he was a jazz drummer. Here's a quick word from our sponsors. We'll be back in a bit. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. And now back to the program.
Yeah. Was it was it all experience songs that you guys did? You didn't do yeah. the, the Gypsies okay. the, with Buddy Miles and uh, and all well, that. Well, we added Machine Gun in the middle. Oh of yeah. One okay. Song. Okay. That's bad. We, yeah. But we just added it in the middle. But mm -hmm. uh, did wait who who recorded Cross uh, Cross uh, Cross Town Traffic? Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. So we did that. We did Voodoo Child. We did, mm -hmm. uh, uh, um, uh, we even did Third Stone from the Sun for a while, which I thought was awesome. And we did, um, what else? We, oh, we did uh, Manic Depression. Um, you know, uh, did, oh, and I Don't Live Today. Okay. Yeah, she said, da -da 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 -da. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we did a real, I mean, when it would stop and we eventually stop and then Joe would start up again. It was so fast. And I'd go, and just go out. It's so out. People were like, what the, you know. Was that, was that the first time that you were in like a Jimi Hendrix tribute band? Yeah. Oh, no, no. I played Jimi Hendrix you know, my whole life, but. Not but I mean, a, an actual sort of tour doing yeah, Jimmy. First time. Yeah. First yeah, time. Yeah. That must have felt really good to oh, go so. to your hero and uh, and put it together, especially with Joe Satriani playing guitar, yeah. who could probably keep up with Jimmy pretty yeah. well, huh? <laughs> oh, dude, I was so. That was one of the greatest. I'll never forget where I was standing. Mm -hmm. I was uh, just started a summer tour with Fogarty. And we're in it. Uh, we did Atlantic City, and then we did Homedale in Jersey. And I'm standing up on this grassy knoll, looking down at three tour uh, trucks, you know, the big, big semis. Yeah. And uh, and I get the call from uh, what says on my phone, Mick Brigden, Chicken Foot, because he was the uh, manager. Okay, he's, Chicken yeah. Foot. Yeah, yeah. He's the manager of Joe, but I listed him under Chicken Foot, and uh, he goes, uh, Kenny. Mick, how you doing, buddy? He says, and he got right to it. He says, listen, Joe is, uh, we're doing this uh, Experience Hendrix tour. Are you available uh, in, uh, I think it was, yeah, I think it was next year in April uh, uh, or March, April, that kind of thing. And I said, you know what? God damn right. I'll I make am. myself available. Right? I'm available <laughs> without knowing whatever is going on. That's go that's what I'm doing. Yeah. And I said, absolutely. Very and cool. then he said, and maybe uh, then we'll do it again in the fall. And maybe there'll be a record in there. And I did Joe Satriani's record, which entered the Billboard charts at number eight this year. Mm -hmm. But of course, we didn't tour. And I'm starting another record in my studio. Which uh, uh, I'll be by myself, but it's for Joe. Okay. All right. So, so what what does the, uh, the what does Jimmy's legacy mean to music um, to you know current and future generations? What do you what do you think that people should take away from it? You know, he's been gone for fifty years. Well, I mean, he's one of the few guys that reinvented guitar. First yeah. of all, I, I'd he, say him he, and and the guy we just lost. Yes, Eddie Van exactly. Halen. Yeah, yeah, Eddie. Yeah. yeah, those are the two big ones, and then the third one would be uh, Jeff Beck. But uh -huh. really, yeah, re really, um, uh, those are the two guys that literally changed the face. And so everybody, yeah, there, there will... was a day before and a, literally a day after. I, yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. So I mean, that'd be like nobody will ever sound like John Bonham. I mean, it's just uncanny how amazing 
everything he did, he was advanced, uh, just a big old farm boy, but somehow he he channeled something that you will always be chasing. And that's what's happened. That's what Jimmy is. You're never, you're never going to get it completely like him. You get close. Stevie Ray Vaughan, you know, did his version. Uh, other people have done their version. But uh, so the cool thing about a guy like Jimi Hendrix, he isn't dead. Yeah. No. He never died. His physical body died, but he's alive. Uh, and uh, the, the music lives on. Yeah. yeah and his style. Yeah. So people will always, there's always something to get get from a guy like that and there's only one guy who can do it like that so everybody can learn from it and do their own thing so mm. it, it's he's never dead just like john coltrane yeah. is he died but oh my god who oh, sounds like john yeah, yeah yeah no nobody yeah. sounds like john coltrane nobody yeah. nobody sounds like herbie hancock herbie yeah. hancock oh my god body of work he did and so yeah i mean these people they live on forever yeah, yeah. it was a special time in music uh, I'm not sure if uh, we, we're in that world anymore. I, I, I think yeah. some of that has passed, um, you know, and let's face it, uh, given this pandemic and, you know, what's going on and, you know, we've lost a lot of uh, of great uh, talent over the last few years uh, as well, just due to age and, and all of that. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, where do you think Jimmy would be if he survived now? Wow. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, he, who knows? Just, you just don't know. Uh, I mean, if he was healthy, Mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, he'd be a wise man, and he'd probably have some incredible uh, uh, things to say because he's just older and wiser. Yeah, if yeah. he was healthy, that's good. that's good. I like that. I like that. Uh, have you seen any uh, of the uh, the tribute acts uh, besides yourself that uh, you know that are helping to keep that music alive, uh, like Jimmy well, Blue, who's going to be uh, the headliner of this uh, event uh, for uh, Jimmy's seventy eighth birthday on November twenty seventh. The only thing I ever saw was on that Hendrix Experience tour. Of course, I saw all yeah, of these all, great, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, even Zach Wild. I mean, yeah. you know, doing it. Or, or oh, the great one was um, uh, what's his name from uh, Megadeth? Um, oh, uh, Dave Mustaine. Dave Mustaine, and yeah. he would come in our dressing room and humbly ask Joe stuff. And Joe is the sweetest guy in the world, and he would be telling uh, Dave Mustaine, you know, how to you know approach some of this stuff. It was great. Yeah, it was so cool. Uh, I love that experience watching people honor Jimi Hendrix's stuff. So that was the. Oh, actually, you know what? The first time I saw this Hendrix, I was on tour with Melissa Etheridge. I was in San Diego, and this might have been the first year or second year because Mitch Mitchell was there and Buddy Miles was there, and they both played. Wow! And it was in San Diego. Uh huh. I gotta tell you, I have a Mitch Mitchell story. Yeah, I was at uh, Percussive Arts Society in Nashville, and I was on the cover of the magazine. Anyway, I get there, and there's Mitch Mitchell, and he looks at me, and he smiles at me and points to me, and and I'm like, I I, I look at him and I start <laughs> pointing to me like, are you pointing at me? To me? Or and he shake, yeah, I turn around, <laughs> yeah, I look behind me, and so he says, yeah, I come up to him, and you know what he said? He says. I know something about you that most people don't know. And I thought, uh oh, is this something related to a girl or something? <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Who did I get pregnant now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, or something. Uh, he said, You know how to swing. Yeah. And yeah. you know what? I had just recorded with the Buddy Rich Big Band. Really? And, uh, I'd, I'd done two songs with them The Straight No Chaser and Big Swing Face. And he maybe he had heard it. Yeah. And he went, 
because he was a jazz drummer. He was like, oh my God, you became this rock guy, but nobody really knows that you literally know how to swing because I grew up playing jazz. And so um, that to me was one of the greatest experiences. I bet, I bet, I bet. Oh my God. And then yeah. Buddy Miles. That's one of your heroes telling yeah. you. You're cool. Dude. Oh yeah. yeah, I got the same thing from Ringo. Yeah, I got uh, honored by Charlie Watts. But anyway, um, I when Buddy was there, Buddy was in a wheelchair. He was a crazy guy. He was in a wheelchair, popping wheelies with gold <laughs> teeth, you know. And he looks at me, and he looks at me, and he starts acting like hitting hard, like I do. And I'm pointing to me, and once again, I go, "You, you talking to me?" He says, "Yeah, man, you, you, yeah." He he knew who I was. Dude, this is like, it doesn't get any better than that. That's yeah. it, man. These are my heroes. And I'm just a little kid in a little New England town. What the fuck? I didn't know how you, that you could actually get out of there and become famous. And be, those, my heroes would know who I am. What? It was amazing. Well, Kenny Aronoff, thanks so much for being with us on Deeper Digs uh, to talk yeah. about Hendrix. Really appreciate yep. it. You're welcome, man. I'll talk about Hendrix anytime. It's very far away. It takes about a half a day to get there. As we travel by my uh, dragonfly. Don't start this plane, baby. We're all the same. You know it's a groovy day. And the wind's just right. Let's hear it for Kenny Aronoff. That guy is just so full of energy and good vibes. We could have talked for hours, and I promised him we'd have him back to talk in more detail on his long and storied career. Do go and get his great book, Sex, Drums, Rock and Roll, wherever you get your good reads. Okay, up next is a serious discussion on Hendrix as he relates to the black community. This is a very important book. Jimi Hendrix, Black Legacy, A Dream Deferred, is the culmination of a two-decade journey of author Corey Washington's exploration of Jimi Hendrix's complex and misunderstood relationship and impact on the black community. Jimi's life has been featured in you know, numerous biographies over the years, but very little has been properly documented when it comes to his influence on people of color. Hendrix is often seen by many to have transcended race, which is a slap in the face to his deep cultural roots, concerning not only his black musical traditions, but simply growing up as a black person in the 40s and 60s. Corey seeks to add to Jimmy's overall legacy by embracing Jimmy's black culture, including the well-known people in Jimmy's life, as well as the voices that many do not get to hear from in your traditional Jimi Hendrix biographies. It was always a strong desire of Jimi Hendrix to garner a more diverse fan base, although he never got to fully see the fruits of his labor. Jimi Hendrix's Black Legacy will reveal that his wish ultimately did come true. 
Now, Corey Washington is a high school history teacher currently teaching in Richmond County, Augusta, Georgia. He holds both a bachelor's and master's degree in middle grades education from Augusta State University, born in New York City in 1976. He's grown up in a cultural racial melting pot. In the mid-1980s, he moved to Aiken, South Carolina in the fifth grade. Ever since 1992, he has lived in Augusta, Georgia, and considers it a perfect fit. His love for history has spurred his love for writing. His other hobbies include playing and watching basketball, tennis and baseball, fishing, and above all, reading the Bible every day. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's get to know Corey Washington. Welcome with us now, Corey Washington. How are you doing today, Corey? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? I'm I'm fantastic. I, 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 let's let's start start with uh, with your book, Jimi Hendrix: Black Legacy: A Dream Deferred. What caused you to uh, to write this? Well, it, it's kind of interesting because I started from a position of a person that really didn't care that much for Hendrix. As I was growing up in the uh, late 70s, early 80s in New York City, disco, hip hop, that was the main uh, music. But you also had like the pop music of Michael Jackson, uh, Prince, uh, Whitney Houston, Lionel Richie. But Jimi Hendrix was never talked about. Really? So, yeah, not in my household, not Uh in my neighborhood, growing up in the projects. Uh And so um, whenever I would see him, I I really wouldn't think too much of him. But. I'm sitting there watching wrestling because back in the day I was a big wrestling fan with Hulk Hogan. Oh yeah. The NWO. And then he came to the ring with a Jimi Hendrix song. And I was like, man, this song is amazing. It was Voodoo Child, A Slight Return. <laughs> right. And it was that Wawa uh, scratch <laughs> that got me. Mm-hmm. And so here it is, you know, I, I, the next day I'm, I'm trying to find all of his music and, and everything that I was listening to was great. And, it just went from there. That was my initial beginning. And then I did a research paper when I was in college on why is Jimi Hendrix uh, not as appreciated as he should be in the black community? You know, because I wanted to get into the dig deep on that. And that was the initial research. It led to my first book, Nobody Cages Me, which was kind of like an introductory book. Mm-hmm. And I just kept going on and on with the research and the more stuff I found, the more interesting it became. And I had all of this wealth of knowledge and research, and I decided to do my latest book, Jimi Hendrix, Black Legacy, A Dream Deferred. Well, so, uh, look, uh, you know, Jimi Hendrix looms large in rock and roll history, and anybody who delves into to that will will find, you know, he, he is one of the pillars of, uh, of the art form. Um, you know, but, but why, to the central point of your question, why has he been let's say forsaken in the black community a lot of it had to do with marketing and perception Uh, when he was uh, alive 
his uh, management uh, probably didn't know exactly how to market him to the black community. But as time went on and it was towards the end of his career, he started doing things like the band of gypsies. Yeah. Yeah. He brought in Billy Cox, which was a funkier bass player. And he gave a free concert in Harlem, September 5th, 1969. Mm -hmm. And so he started to kind of branch out and black people started to be more receptive to him. But unfortunately he wasn't alive too much after that. Right. Yeah. It was so the very this, tail end of his yeah. career. Mm-hmm. And so I think if he was alive, it, it would have been a lot different, but you know, unfortunately that didn't happen like that. Yeah, I can, I can see that. Uh, you know, he definitely was, well, of course, you know, let's face it. Uh, he had to go to the UK to even make it. He, he couldn't right. make it here in America. Um, you know, and I'm sure there were uh, racial components as to why that was. Um, Chaz Chandler, uh, you know, uh, ex-bass player of the Animals, found him uh, in New York and said, look, let's let's get you over to the UK where that problem is much less so. And uh, he was accepted pretty quickly, especially by uh, the musicians. I mean, it was only a couple of weeks before his first performance there, Bag of Nails, where, you know, all the, the, the premier English musicians came and literally left in sweats uh, trying to figure out how to keep up with the guy, right? Right. I mean, the English have always had a reputation for um, attaching themselves to great black music. Uh, Jimi Hendrix was an originator but he was also cut from the same cloth as those old bluesmen that they looked up to all the time so here you had this guy who was an old soul but he was innovative as far as his techniques and and once he got over there and started using those pedals and and doing i mean that's where the innovation was in guitar at that time uh, in england so he was in the right spot yeah, yeah. Marshall uh, was fairly new. Uh, the pedals were just being invented. You know, a master of distortion, obviously. Right. Uh, you know, these things all kind of coincide in a timing that plays very well with his style of playing. But to your point, you know, hey, look, he, he grew up, uh, you know, uh, in the projects uh, in Seattle uh, and, um, you know, was, uh, you know, treated to, uh, you know, the racism uh, that existed, maybe less so on the far West Coast than you might find in the the Jim Crow South of of his early upbringing, being that he was born in the mid 40s. And, you know, that continued to exist well into the late 60s and, you know, is even in some ways still with us today, unfortunately. Um, He was able to to transcend that. But to your point, you know, he did so primarily um, by becoming a star to a white audience. And it wasn't until later in his career that he did start to say, hey, wait a minute, you know, I I need to get closer to my roots, hence bringing Billy Cox in, the rest of the band of gypsies, and even the possibility of him, uh, I I know there was a possible record with Miles Davis uh, even thought about, right? Right, Miles Davis, he he was getting into that whole jazz fusion thing. Uh, He was pioneering that. Uh, He was... um, I mean, even after he died, uh, the um, musical artist that took up after him, P-Funk, Funkadelic, yeah. mm-hmm. um, Prince. Uh, Ernie yeah, Pr- Prince, Prince is a pretty obvious one. I, right, I remember right. I remember the day, I, I, you know, I kind of saw Prince play guitar, uh, which I got to see very early and was like, holy shit, that guy's like Jimi Hendrix. And he, he, he is that good of a guitar player. A lot <laughs> of people don't remember that. He tried to deny that. it. He tried to, I guess, the, like you said, it was so obvious that... <laughs> He tried to deny it for a little bit and say, oh, I take after Carlos Santana. But when you see all that purple on Prince and you see that frizz, uh, 
frilly uh, clothing he was wearing. You, ha you have to think about Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, yeah. And to give Prince his due, you know, there, there's definitely some James Brown going on. Oh, in yeah, there. There's some P-Funk uh, going on in there. I mean, yeah. he, he took from all, all the greats and, and created right. something new, which, you know, you know, all hail Prince, you know, but back to, back to Jimmy. Um, yeah, I, I guess to, to your point is that had he survived uh, into, um, you know, uh, full adulthood and, you know, I mean, here we're talking about him, uh, he would be 78 years old uh, this hmm. year, which is what, you know, we're talking about this, uh, this uh, uh, celebration of his 70th birthday here at the end of November, November 27th. Um, you know, you, you think that the, maybe the black community would have accepted him more? He would have been more of a pillar to later musical moments? Is, is that what the suggestion is? I would say so. I think that a lot of my research was kind of surprising in that um, Jimi Hendrix actually had five albums uh, in the top, in the top uh, 10 mm -hmm. on the R&B charts on a uh, billboard. And that's yeah. something that doesn't get reported a lot, but I mean, Band of Gypsies album stayed on the charts on the R&B charts for like uh, uh, over a year, mm -hmm. as well as um, Are You Experienced? So there was a lot of black people supporting Jimi Hendrix, but at, it wasn't at the time. At the time, but right, uh, at the it time. didn't. Yeah, it didn't translate uh, to later generations. I think is your main point here. Right, and even now there's been a little resurgence uh, when you speak to people about Jimi Hendrix, younger people. A lot of these uh, rappers have sampled his music. Um, a lot of the influential rappers um, uh, love Jimi Hendrix, like Drake, mm -hmm. Future. You know, these are some of these. Um, young people look up to these guys and they're talking about Jimi Hendrix. Andre 3000 played him in a, a movie. Oh recently. yeah. Yeah. Very well. Right. Yeah. So I'm starting to see an uptick, you know, that's very encouraging. Yeah. That, that's very encouraging. And I, and I think maybe, you know, if I can, uh, you know, in the, in the, the mid to late sixties, you know, at the peak of Jimmy's career, you know, we, we just uh, here in America had passed the civil rights act, the voting rights act, things seemed to be getting better racially. Uh, in this country. Uh, of course, that was only on the surface. We know there was a vicious backlash that was uh, that was coming. And, uh, and I think, you know, music of the 60s was more, you know, there, there was plenty of, of, of black artists and white artists that would play together, it'd be multiple bills, uh, there was less of this, this separation of, of, of music. But in the 70s, and I think a lot of it's driven by, uh, you know, white flight and, and, and the backlash that occurred uh, after uh, the advances of the, of the mid-60s that you started to see this separation. There was black music on one side again and white music on another side again. And it's not until maybe, you know, disco, you see a little bit of cross-pollination at that point. But certainly it's not until the 80s where, you know, uh, you know white and black music start commingling again, wouldn't you say? Yeah, and even with disco, you had that rock backlash against that. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Mostly driven records. by white people. Yeah, right, yeah, right. Yeah, and yeah. and I think, like you said, Prince, Michael Jackson, those artists when they were major crossover artists, you started seeing the lines blur. But um, Jimi Hendrix was—he could have been that cross. He could have been that first true crossover artist, I believe. But it never happened uh, for some of the reasons we already spoke about. But yeah. I mean, nowadays, just like music is almost genreless, but the radio stations are still segregated because they have these niches that they've only played certain things. So we're back to that same old thing again. 
Yeah, that is uh, that is a shame. Uh, you know, uh, it's just I, I I think it may be a little bit different. I I think it's just there's just a plethora of of, um, of of artists out there that you know find anybody's tastes. Uh, you know, so there's it's it's a little bit harder to kind of point and say ah here here is the the real stuff when there's just a, you know to start with a sea of mediocrity uh and very few even those that that do pump up uh out of that sea uh to get recognized you know they've got a they've got a lifespan of a gnat of like 24 48 hours before some other news item shows up and replaces them with another song or artist so it's it's a little bit harder for somebody to grab hold of the public's imagination kind of like jimmy did uh back in the late 60s so I think it's a little bit harder on on that side of things, but I do see you know the younger generations. You know, again, uh, you know, we we are constantly you know bending the arc of justice, uh, bending the arc of history towards justice, uh, and you know it seems like the younger generation listens to all kinds of music, and they they you know they kind of you know don't really feel strongly about one or the other. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing, uh, you know, a, a progression, if you will, a positive progression of that. Right. I think things like YouTube, Spotify, and all these different uh, platforms where they can just type an artist in and listen to, this, to their discography. Yeah. We didn't have that when we were coming up. We know no. we had to do it the old fashioned way, but these kids yeah. now, they can do it in the blink of an eye. And, and that really helps them out as far as discovering classical music and uh that's very good well i think of uh you know i i i, I you know being in in a, in a technology environment podcasting like myself you know we get asked a lot uh you know how we're helping or affecting uh the music industry you know and, and i point to uh uh you know the the TikTok uh, here with dreams which i'm sure you've seen uh, yeah. You know, some kid, you know, guy riding a skateboard uh, with a cranberry juice and, and that turns into some giant meme that causes that song to come back into uh, the, the billboard charts or the twins, uh, the two African-American twins uh, that probably have more of a hip hop background and they've never listened to classic rock. And they put on a classic oh, yeah. rock song, yeah. uh, you know, in the air tonight's the most famous one. And that, that bit goes viral. And uh, that song is now back in, uh, in the, uh, the, the top 10 uh, as well. It's, it's crazy uh, that, uh, you know, we're, we're getting that, but back to, back to, to Jimi Hendrix specifically, out of this book, you're also trying to make a, uh, a documentary, right? Right. This is a recent project of mine. A lot of people don't read books. And I think um, this documentary will be um, something where I'll be able to uh, go into areas that no other Jimi Hendrix documentary has ever gone in and interview the people that not just only knew him, but also people that were influenced by him that never knew him, but just kind of painting, painting this whole picture and show how his influence uh, really went beyond the rock world and went into R&B and funk and soul and jazz and all this other stuff. And I, I, the way I have it uh, mapped out, I think it'll be very compelling for people to watch. Mm -hmm. Which then should drive people to uh, to go and read the book, which will have right. the, the, the deeper detail into it. So, right. so um, I know you also uh, are uh, involved in trying to help get the Band of Gypsies um, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I, I think they've been inducted into the R&B Hall of Fame, if I remember right. Um, right. But uh, the Rock Hall hasn't, um, you know, uh, accepted Band of Gypsies just yet. 
Right. We first, uh, when I first started it, it was uh, entitled uh, Induct a Band of Gypsies into the Rock and R&B Hall of Fame. Uh, another guy, uh, Boo O'Connor, he was uh, essential in helping. Uh, and uh, once we got the Band of Gypsies inducted into the R&B Hall of Fame, we dropped that part off and just kept the rock. So I think that um, just going around and getting different um, opinions from people like Bootsy Collins, George Clinton, and any other person that we can and putting it on the uh, Facebook site, just kind of bringing light because I got a video on YouTube that's the top 10 reasons to induct the Band of Gypsies into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I got a countdown and I mean, they just were so influential. I mean, of, of course their album was a uh, double platinum. Uh, yeah. So they had the sales, but you know, just because they were short lived, I don't think that should disqualify them from being inducted. You know, when you compare them to maybe some of the other people that are already in there. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think this is too much of a stretch. I mean, you know, we all know that Jimi Hendrix is, like I said, one of the pillars of rock and roll. He's inducted into the Hall of Fame as that. He, he will never be forgotten. Uh, he, he looms large there. So, you know, like others uh, who have, you know, two or more inductions, um, you know, uh, it's not inconceivable that Band of Gypsies could find itself in there. There's a campaign, obviously, that uh, needs to happen, and that's basically what rock bands have to do to get the attention of the Rock Hall Committee that, you know, puts them on the ballot, and then, of course, the voters themselves that uh, that make the uh, the final uh, submission. So you, you said you have 10 reasons. Can, can you give us the 10 reasons? Uh, let's see, the 10 reasons um, that the Band of Gypsies should be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I know uh, one of the biggest reasons is that when you look at the, the influence of the Band of Gypsies, they were um, head and shoulders as far as a lot of these other groups, as far as influencing not just rock, but also R&B. Uh, look at the groups that came after that. Also, uh, if I could just go through this quickly, number 10, Buddy Miles should already be in for his previous body of work with uh, right, right. his other groups. Uh, Billy Cox should have been inducted when they inducted the Jimi Hendrix experience. If they would have waited two more years, he could have got in according to their rules. Mm -hmm. uh, Jimi Hendrix is, uh, like you said, one of the greatest influences, and he deserves to be multi inducted multiple times. I mean, Eric Clapton is in there three times. Why not? Jimi <laughs> Hendrix <laughs> more than once. I, uh, I got you there, my friend. I yeah, got you there. I don't have to down Eric Clapton, <laughs> but I think people know yeah, what I'm talking about. Right. If Eric yeah. can be in there three times, Jimmy can yeah, be in there exactly. at least twice. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the exclusive content from those songs that the Band of Gypsies had, they were different from the uh, Jimi Hendrix experience and were never duplicated again. So mm -hmm. we're looking at two separate groups here. Uh, another one, the tremendous impact on uh, communities of color and the inner city. You ask a lot of black people and they say, this is the reason why I got into Jimi Hendrix. Why? The Band of Gypsies. So that yeah. was huge. Uh, mm -hmm. Machine Gun, just look at that one song. It had the greatest guitar note of all time. It's a classic. Oh, I mean, if you, if you want to get yourself taken back to Vietnam and what all that meant, just put Machine Gun on. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. And uh, oh, the overall concert that the live uh, album came from was uh, one for the ages. I think there were four concerts. And but I mean, we've had like songs for groovy children and and different things where we can listen to all the concerts and, and just see how great that music was. So that's another reason. 
Um, like I said, great commercial success, record sales, double platinum. I think they had a documentary that, that sold a, a million copies. So, I mean, this is stuff people are interested in. Right. Um, right. And of course, um, the lasting impact on the world of music. I think that's probably the number one reason why they with should it, be inducted. Without doubt, you make a strong case, Corey. And you, uh, I understand, have the, uh, the support of uh, the Hendrix estate itself, right? Well, when I went to um, the, the, originally, Janie Hendrix was supposed to uh, accept his award because Jimi Hendrix was inducted as a solo artist in 2016 at the R&B Hall of Fame. She couldn't make it, so I went in her place and accepted the award and gave a speech that she sent me. And the same thing in 2019 when the band of Gypsies. So I have been working with the estate as far as that that's concerned. So, mm-hmm. but I haven't heard much from them on the rock and roll. I don't know if they're doing their own thing on that end. Hey, uh, it 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 takes a, a village to uh, to get anything done, right? So uh, right, as long absolutely. as good people are doing it from various angles, actually, you probably have more of a chance of succeeding uh, that way. So right. so that would work. All right. So I understand you uh, you know Jimmy Blue, who will be the headliner at the uh, the seventy eighth birthday uh, uh, celebratory event. Uh, right. Tell us about uh, working with Jimmy and uh, what your thoughts are about uh, his Kiss the Sky project. Well, I initially got to know Jimmy uh, through Facebook, like so many in the Hendrix community, and and we would talk back and forth, and he enjoyed my research, and I enjoyed what he was doing at the time with his radio show, Code Blue. Mm -hmm. I used to listen to that show religiously when it came on, because he would do all these different genres, and and I mean, I I would just love it, and you would always learn something. And he would always play Hendrix. He would always play James Brown. He would always play Sly. And those are like three of my favorite artists. And so actually, I finally got to meet him in New York City a couple of times and uh, hang out with him. And I mean, one time we just talked for like five, six hours. I mean, just going back and forth and sharing Hendrix knowledge. And, and man, when I got to see him play with Kiss the Sky, I mean, it was like blown away. I mean, you could look at the faces of the people in the audience. They were eating it up. And so I got to see him at the Cafe Y uh, one time in a Greenwich Village, and I got to see him at the Brooklyn Bowl. That was my most recent time seeing him. And both times, I mean, it was the costumes, I mean, everything down to a T. So I definitely encourage everybody out there to look up Kiss the Sky, and if you get a chance, go see him in public once this uh, pandemic dies down. Yeah, it's, it's probably, uh, you know, the best, uh, he's probably the best Hendrix tribute act, uh, you know, uh, out there going these days. Uh, he, he, he fully embraces the role. Uh, he, he looks a little like the man as it is, and, uh, and he plays uh, uh, quite a bit like him uh, as well. Uh, right. So uh, yeah, it, it's 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 great, and you know I, I'm I'm just great I'm, I'm just grateful that people like yourself and Jimmy you know are out there continuing to expose people to you know this this guy who you know only had a short career but an incendiary career regardless right right, right. we look at it from a scholarly point of view we we're, we're serious about our research we want to present accurate details and we don't want to rehash the same old stuff that's already out there because you can go look that stuff up in a book. So what we try to do is go into detail and find things that nobody's talking about and and bring those points out. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. It, like what we do here, rock and roll archaeology. You know, we're right. we're we're digging up the past and we're looking at uh, you know now with history's perspective, we can kind of put things together uh, in uh, in a way that is, you're unable to do in in real time. You know, we we have perspective and uh, you know the advantage of time to see how these things played out and how significant these players are. And you know, here we are. Uh, you know. Uh, almost 50 years from uh, from Jimmy's passing. And, you know, we're still talking about him and he is still important to the musical landscape uh, out there. And that's that's pretty incredible. Exactly. People are still learning about him. People that don't know who he is. He, people that have known him for, I mean, I've been uh, one of the most encouraging things about my book is that I've had people that are way older than me that have been studying Hendrix from like the 60s say, you know what? I thought I knew everything about Jimi Hendrix, but after reading your book, I learned quite a few things, and that that really is encouraging. Well, we hope uh, many of our listeners go out and uh, and get your uh, your latest uh, book, Jimi Hendrix: Black Legacy: A Dream Deferred, uh, and even your uh, your previous book. Uh, your previous book, I had it. What Nobody is it? cages me. Nobody, Nobody cages, cages me. me. That's right. That's right. All right, Corey Washington. Thanks so much for being with us on Deeper Digs to talk about uh, Jimi Hendrix and his legacy, uh, especially when it comes to the black community. Thanks for having me, Christian. I really enjoyed it. People talking, but they just don't know what's in my heart and why I love you so. I love you, baby, like a mine of love gold. Come on, sugar, let the good time roll. Hey! So awesome to have Corey Washington with us today talking Jimi Hendrix. I was so happy to hear that uh, the man is being taken back by the black community. Let's face it, Jimi had to deal with all the same racist bullshit African Americans have had to suffer in America. Uh, Let's never forget that fact. All right. Friday, November 27th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 4 p.m. at West, Kiss the Sky presents a live stream of their annual Jimi Hendrix birthday bash direct from the historic Bearsville Theater in Woodstock, New York. Check out the bearsvilletheater.com or at Kiss the Sky tribute page on Facebook for more information. And remember, it's donation only, so you just gotta go. Mark your calendars for November 27th and come celebrate what would have been Jimi Hendrix's 78th birthday with me and a whole host of folks. All right, next week, we have two more Jimi Hendrix fans and players. I'm not sure who will be next, but I have on deck Carmine Apice, Gerardo Velez, Billy Cox, Mickey Dolenz, Vernon Reed, and of course, I'll end with Jimmy Blue from Kiss the Sky. Uh, There may be some more, too. We'll see. Okay, that's it for uh, this week. So go out and make sure to keep up the rockin'.
Deeper Digs is hosted by Christian Swain. Produced by Christian Swain and Peter Ferrioli. Sound designed by Busy Signal Studios. Engineered by Jerry Danielson, Christy O'Donnell, and Leslie Barker. Find all of our shows, notes, and social links at PantheonPodcast.com. Contact us on social at Pantheon Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Tweet us at Pantheon Pods. All songs can be found used in this podcast for purchase or streaming wherever you get your great music. Please pick up these amazing tracks. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.